Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. Right now, you're about to listen to a message from our current series. Thanks for tuning in today. Revelation, the first chapter, beginning in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servant things which must shortly come to pass. How many know that the Bible says a, a day is as a thousand years to the Lord, a thousand years is a day? So when he says shortly come to pass, for him it's short. But for the church it's been 2,000 years. But how many believe it's much shorter now than it was 2,000 years ago? Amen. He's speaking prophetically here. He says... The Bible says, and signify it by his angel unto his servant John, who, have, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Say the time is at hand. So here we have, and I wish I, I really wanted to go on and read, but I really want you to just take a few minutes today, not right now, and read the first chapter of Revelation, because we know that from this chapter, John, the beloved John, had a revelation or a vision from God regarding future events. And the first thing uh, uh, that God had him do was write seven letters to seven churches in that day. Now, I'll just say this. I believe that in the hour we're living in, we're going to see a culmination of the challenges that these, that these uh, churches had, all of them somewhat in the church today before the coming of the Lord. And, um, and seven letters to seven churches, five of them were in trouble spiritually. And God said, if you don't correct the direction you're taking, I'm going to come and remove the candlestick or the light or the glory or the presence from your churches. And I don't know about you, there's one place in the Bible where it says God wrote down, uh, and I wish I'd looked it up, the word Ichabod. It means the glory of the Lord hath departed. And oh, what it would be so grievous if we didn't have the glory here at Faith Family Church. Come on. It would be grievous if all of our uh, all of our uh, um, intentions were to have a church full of the glory of God, but we just turned into another dead denomination. I don't want to see that happen at Faith Family Church. I don't want to see that happen with us individually. Can I have an amen? amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, so he writes these seven letters. Now, his first letter, which we'll see in chapter 2, verse 1, his first letter written was written to the church at Ephesus, we know as the book of Ephesians, all right? And um, externally, this congregation had it going. They were excited about the things of God. They were serving in the house of God. They were zealous for the things of God. However, in all their busyness, they failed to recognize that they had lost the most important thing in their life and that they had lost their first love. They were doing all the external things, but internally they had lost their first love. Uh, they had lost this relationship with God. At one, and I don't know about you when you first got saved, but this, I'll just, and I'm not trying to say something I wasn't because Vicky agreed with me. When I first got saved, I'm telling you, we, we changed our church upside down 
because we were so passionate for the things of God. God had changed my life, and I was so passionate for his presence. I was passionate uh, for um, my, my uh, fellowship with him. I was passionate for his word, passionate for his house. I'm telling you, we couldn't hardly wait for Sunday morning and Wednesday night to come because we just wanted to get to church. We were passionate uh, we, were actually, we were passionate for worship and praise. We were passionate for fellowship with one another. We wanted to be around the people who could help us grow. We always hung around. When we were 20 years, we always hung around 40-year-olds because we were so mature. No, it wasn't that. Because we wanted to learn what they had learned. And so we always hung around older people so we could grow. Amen. And we were growing. And we were passionate. Listen. And we were passionate for souls. Amen. I mean, I was passionate. I had Jesus all over my trucks. I was a complete Jesus freak. Amen. And I don't know about you, but see, if that was you at one time and you've lost it, then you better stop and begin to analyze uh, if you really have lost your first love. This is what John was writing about. And he says in chapter 2, verse 5, remember, he says, the height of from which you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. At first. He's simply saying, repent and do the first things you did when you were first saved. I, I, again, I don't, I, I, how many here with, with an uplifted hand that you really had a fire and a passion for God when you first got saved? Amen. I hope you did. Uh, maybe it wasn't a true conversion, if not. Maybe you need to get saved today. I'm just saying, we just, uh, I mean, you know, is Jesus your first love? There should be some evidence that he is. And um, then he goes on and says, but if you don't repent, I'm going to come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, verse 7. He says, he who has ears, he who has any ear. So he's specifically addressing anyone, anybody in this church, if you have an ear to hear. Now, he's not addressing everybody corporately, but he's addressing you individually. He, amen. I mean, uh, I, I want you to have a passion for God that everybody sees the overflow of God's glory in your life. That's what we want from you. I mean, a, a passion. You have a passion for people. You love people. You have a passion. You care about them. You listen to them. See what they're saying because you're looking for just that open door to show your love and your, your honor and your respect and, and the value that God has for them. You show towards them. Yeah. Amen. He who hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, overcomes what? The temptation of not heeding to my word. That's what he's saying. He that overcomes that temptation, I will give the right to, the, uh, to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The tree of life. Now, does this have anything to do with us? Of course it does. Why? Because this is New Testament doctrine. Would you agree? Revelation is New Testament. Come on, everybody. So he says, I'm going to give you access to the tree of life. What are the benefits of the tree of life? Proverbs 3 tells us. He says, skillful and godly wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you can wish for is to be compared to her. Skillful and godly wisdom. It goes on. You know what that means? That means you're going to know exactly what to do when you, know, when you have to know exactly what to do. Amen. You're going to know what to do uh, in every situation. Length of days, the Bible says it's in her right hand. And in her left hand are riches and honor. Somebody shout hallelujah. Her ways are highways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Watch this. She is a, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold on her, 
And happy, blessed, fortunate to be envied is everyone who holds her fast. I think it's interesting how they use the word wisdom is used in the feminine sense. Tell you, men, your, your ladies have a whole lot more wisdom than you may realize. Yes. Amen. No, nobody move. Nobody move. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've had some tremendous pain in my life for not listening to my wife. I hate to even say that. It just hurts just to say it. But I shall suffer. I shall endure. I'll get off of that. I just feel it coming towards me. I feel the love. I feel the love. Turn to Exodus 13. Exodus, the 13th chapter. Exodus 13, and I'm going to be reading the Amplified. It says this. The Lord said to Moses, sanctify Consecrate, set apart to me all the firstborn males. Whatever is first to open the womb among the Israelites, both of man and of beast, is mine. So right here, God establishes ownership of what he says belongs to him. Ownership. Say ownership. Amen. Biblically speaking, this is known as the principle of the first. The principle of first, which I'm going to talk about today. When God becomes first in your life, then everything else will come into order. And that is important when we're beginning a new year. I said when God is first, everything else will come into order because God isn't disorderly. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I want an orderly 2017, that things will turn out the way God planned it to turn out. Hallelujah. I don't want no Ishmael's in 2017. Amen. I want God's best. However... Without heeding to his word, without putting him first, what you're going to end up with is with disorder in your spiritual life, disorder in your family, your relationships, disorder in your business dealings. God doesn't want that. He wants you to have order in your life. Can I have an amen? amen. So the principle of first is discovered from Genesis to Revelation. Now, in Exodus, the 12th chapter, if you will uh, read it, and I won't today, in Exodus 12th chapter, we have the story of how God so supernaturally brought the children of Israel out of 430 years of slavery. Now, mind you, again, I just want you to know, how many have ever heard something called generational curses? Now, generational curses are simply negative things, are things that are not biblically planned for your life, things that uh, hold you in bondage, whether it's, um, it could be drug addiction, could be alcoholism, it could be sexual a perversion, bondage, whatever. It could be fear, could be oppression, could be suicide, could be all sorts of things in your life, generational curses. And when Jesus died on the cross, praise God, he died to set you free from generational curses so that you don't have to bring, and mind you, I don't care, I brought things into my life that were in my preceding family. And, um, and whether, whether they're mannerisms, right, you know, whether there are certain phrases I say, uh, certain uh, behaviors, I, you, you just naturally bring them in. You just mimic uh, what, you, what was in front of you as a child. Isn't that true? But as far as generation, and there are some good, thing, good, there are some good things and not so good things. But specifically generational curses, things that, that, that keep you from God's best. You know, God wants to break those things over your life. He wants to free you from those things. He doesn't want you to be bound. Come on, everybody. He wants you to be free. He really does. So we're, all of us are working on these various things. So they were in bondage, and, and God brought them supernaturally out of bondage. In fact, 
It was such a great display of God's glory that it literally brought disorder to the kingdom of darkness. Amen. I mean, I just read the story in Exodus 12. It's just amazing what God, in fact, not anything since then has God displayed such glory among his people, such supernatural miracles. Even in Jesus' ministry, it was awesome, but these were spectacular in nature, spectacular in nature, the ten uh, judgments. And if you don't know this, there were ten miracles, and those ten miracles had to do with the ten gods that Egypt served. And God wanted them to know there's only one God. Amen. Only one God, and his name is Jesus. Can I have an amen? And so here in chapter 13, God doesn't mince any words when he takes ownership of what belongs to him. He said, sanctify or consecrate or set apart to me all the firstborn. Say firstborn. And whatever is first to open the womb among the Israelites, both man and beast, the Bible says, is mine. I'll look at verse 9. New Living Translation says, this annual festival will be a visible sign to you. So I'm given to you as a sign, okay? And like a mark branded on your hand or your forehead, let it remind you always to recite this teaching of the Lord with a strong hand, the Lord rescued you from Egypt. What is he saying? I want you to always remember and always remind your firstborn of the great power that God displayed when he brought every one of you out of the kingdom of darkness into the glorious light of his gospel. Hallelujah. He says, I want you, I want my grandsons and my granddaughters to know what, how great God is. And no matter what they deal with in life, God will deliver them. Hallelujah. Amen. He will. I don't want to get 85 years old and I find out that I have a grandson or a granddaughter that's addicted to drugs or, or alcoholism or sexual perversion. I want them to know whom the Son has set free. He's free indeed. Hallelujah. This is what he's saying there. So observe the decree of this festival at the appointed time each year. This is what you must do when the Lord fulfills the promise he swore to you and to your ancestors. When he gives you the land where the Canaanites now live, you must present all the firstborn sons and the firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. Now I want you to notice verse 13. A firstborn donkey may be brought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or a young goat in its place. But if you do not buy it back, you must break its neck. Now, we're talking about the principle of the first. Now, in Jewish tradition, a donkey was considered an unclean animal and could not be used in the Jewish ceremonies. But he says it can be ceremonially clean if it has a substitute. See, that is just simply a type and shadow. You and I, before we were saved, we were unclean like the donkey, and we needed a substitute if we were going to tap into the righteousness of God. Can I have an amen? If we were going to tap into the favor of God and the life of God, we needed a substitute. First Peter 3 says, for Christ the Messiah himself died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, the innocent for, his guilt, uh, for the guilty. Why? That he might bring us to God. Come on, everybody give God a good shot for that. If there wasn't a substitute uh, that was placed on your behalf that God provided. The substitute was, was and still is the foundational strength of redemption, a life for a life. 
Always remember that. You are only saved today because there was an exchange, a supernatural exchange from the love and mercy of God that God provided a substitute for you so that you could live a life of blessing, hallelujah, and in the next life, live for eternity. Come on, give God praise for that. That's what he did for you. Come on, give him praise. That's what he did for you. You should be excited about those, those truths, hallelujah. Let's go on. Then God says, if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. What does that mean? God wanted Israel to know that even if they didn't follow through with what was required, they would lose it anyway. Lose what? Not only would they lose a sacrifice, but more importantly, they would lose the benefits and the blessings that, uh, that God promised uh, from this act of obedience. Now, I want you to notice the last phrase. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. You must buy back, buy back every firstborn son. What does that mean? Well, during the Passover, God spared, during the Passover, now remember the Passover, he says, if you put blood on the doorposts, I will pass over you so that the death angel can't touch your house. Is that beautiful or what? So during this great Passover, God was letting Israel know that all the oldest, uh, all the oldest sons he spared if there was blood upon the Doorpost. Remember, he said, I'm going to kill all the firstborn. Well, all the firstborn were spared through the blood upon the doorposts. And because God spared their lives, listen, he took ownership of them. He, he, he declared that he owned them and had a rightful claim to them. And then that's why he said to them, I want you to buy the firstborn back. Now, I remind you, this ritual served three main purposes, and I want to give them to you. They'll be on the screen. Again, this, is, this practice is a type and shadow of God's redeeming love, okay? So just remember that. It, it, the Old Testament was, uh, was simply uh, uh, the um, prophetic type and shadows of God's redempt, redemptive plan through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what the Old Testament is all about. All right. This ritual served three main purposes. Number one is a reminder to the people of how God spared their sons from the angel of death and freed them of all slavery. Number two, it shows God's highest respect for human life by distinguishing his people from the heathen religions who sacrificed human life to appease the gods they served. When I read that, I was immediately reminded of America. Since 1973, we have have murdered 60 million babies to appease the gods of pleasure and convenience. 60 million. That's probably, that's 10 Chicago's, for example. That's 10 Chicago's, probably, L.A. I don't know how big L.A. is, but they're big. 60 million precious lives murdered because to appease the gods of convenience and pleasure. I'm really hoping our next president We'll do something about that. Can I have an, let me hear it with a good clap offering if you agree. <laughs> Number three, it looked forward to that day when Christ would buy us all back through the, his own personal sacrifice. Hallelujah. Again, for Israel to receive God's presence, provision, and protection, listen, his word had to be first. It had to be believed. It had to be honored and obeyed. 1 Peter 1.18 says this, 
For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed. That word, it means purchased, bought back. It means ransomed. From the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in his last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and your hope are in God. There's often when I come to the altar... I imagine, because they're there, because the Bible says they're there. What's there? In his hands are the scars of the holes, whether they're here or in the wrist, it doesn't matter. There's scars there in his body. There's scars in his forehead from the piercing of the thorns. There's a scar in his side where the, uh, where the uh, um, spear pierced him. And there's scars in his feet where they nailed him to the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I can't... I just remember certain, I remember, and I don't, I don't want to do this, but I remember more of the bad in my life than I do the good in my life because it was more traumatic. But, so I remember things in my life, things that caused me great pain, listen, and I still feel that pain today. So can you imagine Jesus, you think he's God so he don't feel, he still feels the pain of what he did on the cross for you. It's still real to him. So I don't know about you, but I'm extremely grateful. I said I'm extremely grateful. And if you're grateful, you should vocalize it to the Lord. Let him know how you appreciate what he did for you. Let him know how you appreciate that the scars in his body provided the redemption that you need. Let him know about it. I said let him know about it, praise God. Talk to him about it. Thank him for it. I've literally, I have, I must be getting old because I cry more today than I used to. But I tear up sometimes thinking about it, just how much I value what he did for me. Because, listen, I can't earn anything about heaven. I'm just so grateful it's provided for me. Can I have an amen? And you should be also, praise God. So, you're redeemed of the precious blood. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says this. Do you not know that your body, say my body, say my body. You know, today the, uh, women say, this is my body, I can do anything I want with it. You know, and um, yeah, you can, but if you're saved, it's not your body. I said, if you're saved, it's not your body. Don't belong to you. He goes, do you not know that your body is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, whom you have received as a gift from God? You are not your own. You were bought with it. God says, I claimed you. When you cried out to me, I claimed you. You're no longer your own. You lost all your rights. You belong to me. Mm. I'm so glad Jesus is a good taskmaster. I had served a taskmaster for 20 years. His name was Satan. And he tormented me night and day. Thank God Jesus is a good master. I said he's a good master. Hallelujah. Always has good in mind for you. Never evil. Good. He always has good for us. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? Now, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Purchased with the preciousness and paid for. Made his own. So then honor God and bring glory to him in your body. See, returning to God uh, uh, as your first love is not only required within, but it's also required in every other area of your life. Spirit, soul, and body, you belong to God. You really do. 
And you need to get that down inside of you. If you get that down inside of you, there ain't nothing the devil can do to put, get you back in bondage from the things that you were delivered from. Don't give your body uh, uh, to the harlots. Don't give uh, to, moral, to sexual immorality. Don't give your soul, especially your soul, don't give your body to drugs. Don't give your body to alcohol. Don't give your, let your body be the temple of the Holy Spirit filled with the holiness of God. Can I have an amen? This is what he's saying. Thank you, Lord. So God is going to require the first of everything in your life this year. I mean, if you, that's good news if you'll heed to it. He's going to require first your love, the first of your praise, the first of your time, the first of your gifts and talents, and yes, even the first of your finances, and he's not going to bless your leftovers. He's not. He's not going to bless your leftovers. Uh, uh, and because this year is going to be even more busier than last year. Because things are, time is speeding up. Listen, I don't know why I didn't wear my pajamas to church this morning because I'll blink and I'll be in bed. So maybe next Sunday I'll wear No, I won't. I won't wear <laughs> Doesn't the days go by? Kabam, kabam, huh? Bam? I mean, you're up. You're up. I wake up, crawl out of bed, say goodnight to Vicky, and crawl back into bed. I mean, that's how fast it goes. So we need to really consider the value of our relationship with the Lord. Can I have an amen? So the principle of first is, uh, of first, uh, is, 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 again, found throughout the whole Bible. Turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter, and we will end right there today. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Say glory. glory. Hallelujah. Matthew 6. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Matthew, the sixth chapter. I want Jesus, I want to get so close to God this year that whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm facing, whatever challenges, whatever trials, I'll be able to call on him and get a response right away. Amen. Now, in Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 20, and again, I could read so much here today, but I will read more of this later in this series. Now, verse 24, no man can serve two masters. No man. No man can serve two. You're going to serve, you're going to serve a master, but you can't serve two. So as a Christian, you can't serve two masters. This is Jesus talking here. All right? So for either... No man can, for either he will hate the one, that's God, and love the other, that's mammon, or else he will hold to the one, that's God, and despise the other, that's mammon. He goes, uh, and, uh, you cannot serve God and mammon. Cannot. He says, it's impossible. This is Jesus talking. He, did, he, he, he said what he meant and meant what he said. Now, they amplified. No man or no one can serve two masters. We can't, so guess who has to be first as a believer? Say, God has to be first. <laughs> For either he will hate the one and love the other. That word love there, it's interesting. It means to sensually pursue as you would a lover. To sensually pursue as you would a lover. And today, Christians are pursuing all sorts of things in place of God. They're pursuing self-pleasure. Remember I said there's three things if you're not following God, there's three things 
that will master your life. You'll be self-righteous, you'll be self-ruling, and you'll be self-indulgent. That's what we are if God isn't on the throne of our hearts, okay? He says, no one can serve two masters. He, he, he will either hate the one, love the other, or he will stand by and be devoted to the one and despise and be against the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I like the Amplified. It says deceitful riches. What are deceitful riches? Uh, any, deceitful riches are simply anything that deceives you into believing that they give you more pleasure than God does. That's, that's what that means. That, that, that they give you more pleasure than God does. Amen. Let's go on. And um, he goes, um, uh, deceitful riches, money, possessions, or whatever is trusted in. So either God is going to be the master of your life in 2017, or, or mammon, and two can't be. Mammon, deceitfulness of riches, or deceitful riches. Uh, money, possessions, or whatever is trusted in. Verse 25. Look at verse 25. Now, therefore, I say unto you, Jesus talking. Say, Jesus is talking to me. Amen. So he says, take no thought for your life. There's where it begins right here in our minds. Take no thought for your life. Don't take a thought for your life. That's all we think about. Don't take a thought for your life. Let's go on. For, I, um, for the Bible says, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the body or is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? As a Christian, do you understand uh, that the value of life is not found in what you eat and what you drink and what you wear? Raise your hand if you understand that. As a Christian, that's not, that's not the most important thing in your life. Your spiritual life is the most important thing. Is that true? Amen. I mean, that is if you're going to fulfill God's will in your life. If you're going to imitate God, if you're going to carry his glory, then he says, you've got to, don't take thought for these things, these natural things. Let's go on. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are ye not much better than they? Answer that question. Are you better than they? Are you better than the birds? Thank you. Hallelujah. Uh, then he goes on and says, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto your stature? And why take you thought, there it is again, for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, this is powerful now. He says that even Solomon, you have to know this. History will tell you Solomon was the most richest man ever, ever, ever. Bill Gates is a pauper compared to what Solomon was. Solomon was worth billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. Just goes to show you. What did God say to Solomon? He came to Solomon one night and said, Solomon, I will give you anything. I'm going to sign a check and give it to you. You fill it in. You know what Solomon says? Sir, what I really would like from you is the wisdom on how to lead your people. God was blown away. So God said, okay, I'll write the check. Billions. <laughs> Read about it. So God isn't against you having wealth. He's against wealth having you. That's all. 
And, and wealth is in the sense of, okay, riches and tons of money. I mean, you can be making $400 a week and still be coveting money, coveting things. You long for the things more than, you long for the creation more than you do the creator. Can I have an amen? All right, let's finish up here. So, verse 29. That even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So what is he saying? God will give you the best. God will give you the best. Um, Vicky always buys me clothes, you know. And uh, she's always trying. I can't, I'm, you know, it's just hard for me to match. I'm, seriously, I'd have to have all nine gifts of the Spirit in operation just to match my clothes. <laughs> and, uh, and so I come once in a while and I have something buttoned up. She goes, you don't button things up like that. That's not in. Button is. I said, well, I'm going to start a new in. She goes, she goes, no, it won't work. I didn't really get it. So who's, isn't that funny? Have you ever tried to find out who, who sets the in? Bunch of messed up people. And not only that, are they messed up, they're selling the stuff, and you fall into the trap of accepting that now that it's, out, you can no longer wear it because now something else is in. Is that true? God was saying, Solomon, he was the most in dude of that era. He had the best of the best, and yet he had nothing compared to what I can do to a lily. <laughs> he, was, he was saying, maybe right now, you know, you're shopping at Target, but one of these days you're going to be at Nordstrom's. Okay, that really, I'm just saying, and it doesn't matter. Vicky knows that I would wear anything and wouldn't bother me at all, at all. You can laugh at me, like I've said earlier. The only reason you see an old man with shorts on and black socks or tennis shoes, because he don't care anymore. <laughs> you, think, you think he's out. He just don't care. He said, I was in before in was in. <laughs> yeah, I was in before in was in. It's funny, isn't it? So God is letting you know that he, whatever's, and there's some, there's some people in here that you could care less what you wear, and then there's some people in here, you do care what, and there's nothing wrong with that. You care what you wear. You like to be in. You like to look cool, you know. Uh, you like to wear the, and that's fine, because God said, God said, you think Solomon was cool? You just chuck out one of these lilies. He's just telling you, I'll make you cool. Whatever your heart's desire is, you serve me, you'll be cool. Amen. No matter what I wear, I'm cool. In my eyes, maybe not in yours, but I don't care about you. <laughs> this is the last verse, verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and green, and tomorrow is tossed into the furnace, will he not much more surely clothe you? And everybody say yes and Amen. And he says, oh, you have little faith. Isn't that interesting? So if that's all you're thinking about every day of your life, you are operating in a level called little faith. And li listen to me. No. And little faith gets little results. See, you don't want to live your life on little faith. You want to get to that place where you are operating in the realm of great faith so that you see greater results in your life. Because God wants you to have greater results in your life. Amen. 
Therefore, do not worry and be anxious, saying, what are we going to have to eat? What are we going to have to drink? Or what are we going to have to wear? For the Gentiles or the heathen wish for, crave, and diligently seek all these things. They really do. And your heavenly Father knows well that you need them. He knows it. But seek and aim at and strive after first. There it is, first. The kingdom and his righteousness. I love the Amplified. His way of doing and being right. Not your way, his way. And then all these things taken together will be given to you besides. Praise God. Does that sound like God has prepared your 2017 for you? Come on, everybody. He really has. Amen. He really has. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 10 o'clock. We also have what we call School of the Bible on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.